0: You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Addie McCasland. Today we're talking with John Haverfield, friend and client of Mental Health Association Oklahoma. John is a native Tulsan who attended Bishop Kelly High School and the University of Oklahoma. After college, John worked as a TV meteorologist for six years, including work at Channel 2 KJRH TV in Tulsa as the weekend morning meteorologist. During his time at Channel 2, tragedy struck, leading him to his work with MHAOK, including volunteer services and contributions to, to the 2018 Mental Health Awareness Campaign. In 2019, John was awarded the Award for Excellence from the National Alliance of Mental Illness. John has since stepped away from TV and now works as a financial advisor with an office in Midtown Tulsa. We are grateful to have him on today as he shares the story with us. It's worth noting that this conversation speaks predominantly to suicide. While it's important dialogue to have, we understand that it could be difficult for some listeners. The mental health download starts now. Why don't you tell us who you are and how you became to be beloved at the association?
1: Well, so my name is John Haverfield, and I got involved with the association Several years ago, I was full-time at Channel 2 as the weekend meteorologist, the weekend morning meteorologist. I did that for four years, and I'm still doing that in a part-time basis, kind of on a freelance basis, so to speak. But... Whenever I got connected with the association, I was doing weather for Channel 2 and worked with Matt Gleason, who works with all the media outlets as an outreach guy for the association and kind of just someone who who we knew at the station and was a good close contact for us. And I had reached out to him probably about, well, probably about four four or five years ago because I was just kind of lost and I needed someone to talk to that I knew had experience and was in that realm and I wanted to connect with other people who had similar experience to me. So um, I got in contact with Matt Gleason who introduced me to Mental Health Association of Oklahoma and I met with everybody in the association he kind of showed me around and it just made me feel really really welcome to be there and i met some incredible people who were extremely friendly and welcoming to me and really wanted to kind of get my story and another reason why i reached out to matt was to see if i could help in any way using broadcasting as a platform so to speak and help contribute to outreach because i know mental health is a realm that could use the most outreach possible to normalize talking about it because that's what needs to happen. So I just figured I would, I would reach out and help in any small way that I, that I can. And by doing that, kind of help myself work through some of the grieving process that, that I was dealing with at the time.
0: Yeah, just so for our listeners who don't know the story, and for myself, who just knows a snippet of the story when I met you last week at the Channel 2 news station in Tulsa, Mm -hmm. uh, what is it that you were
1: experiencing? Yeah, so about seven years ago, I had lost my sister to suicide. Mm -hmm. And, you know, since then, it's been a long road and you know a long grieving process and i really owe the mental health association for kind of helping me out with and connecting me with with other suicide survivors that made me feel welcome and made me realize i'm not the only one who's going through something like this so my sister was a beautiful human inside and out she was the most caring person that i ever have known she really put others first and, and that was almost to a fault where she didn't really take the time to self-care just because she cared about other people's emotions and made sure other people were feeling good about themselves, where she kind of took a backseat for herself. She had been suffering with mental illness all of her life. She used to suffer with bipolar disease. And she went through doctor after doctor, you know, medication after medication, you know, so many forms of different treatment throughout her life that really kind of started at a young age and so she was my only sibling. We're about six years apart, so she's six years older than me. So we were kind of at different parts of our lives, really, through, throughout our life, because, you know, she's about six years older, so, you know, she was in high school. I was still in elementary school, but, you know I. Dealt with seeing that, you know, going through my childhood and watching her struggle and then, you know, watching my parents struggle through all of that. It, it was pretty tough. And for me as a kid, seeing all that and not knowing anything about mental health or mental illness, you know, I just, I always wondered, what, you know, why can't she just be happy? You know, why is she acting like this? So, you know, as a child I, and growing up, I was always really confused Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, as I got older, we realized what was happening and she would have good days and bad days. We were great friends and she kind of secluded herself off most of the time and didn't want other people to be troubled by her her worries and her depression and she didn't want to you know bring people in that world so she kind of shut herself off toward the end and you know i i was actually living in waco texas at the time at my first job you know whenever she lost her life and it was something that had always crossed our minds something that that may happen someday but you never really think about it sure. happening. So, you know, the, the day that it happened, the night before, you know, we were texting and everything seemed like it was normal. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you, with, with suicide, there's a lot of guilt that comes and there's a lot of a doubt and second guessing.
0: The survivor, right? The survivor.
1: Yeah. You always, you're replaying that moment in your head Mm -hmm. and you know, what if I could have picked up on something that she said, or what if, you know, I, I could have realized something was going on and maybe we could intervene. So that I think was probably the hardest part in the immediate times following what happened. Um, so so yeah, there's, there's a lot of that, that that has to be dealt with for the survivors. You know, for me, I just realized that she's in a much better place now because she isn't bogged down by the illness that that she you know suffered her entire life here and you think about just you know why did this happen like why is someone born with something like this and you know isn't really given the same opportunities as someone who doesn't have that so you know going forward i wanted to connect with the mental health association and see if there was a way you know we could normalize talking about you know mental illness and maybe you know, if more people talk about it, then, you know, more people will realize that, you know, a lot of people are dealing with stuff that's going on, whether that be an actual, you know, mental illness or whether that be a depression, you know, that is acute or brought on by circumstance, but it's just something, especially, you know, for men, especially that mental illness really isn't brought up a lot. Right. So, you know, you know that was kind of my goal is it was to to reach out to with them and see if I can offer any, any help at all. Um, And I kind of hope that I provided at least somewhat of a voice for, for those who have lost loved ones like this. And I was fortunate enough to get involved with the May campaign with Mental Health Association in 2018. And our, our theme was Too Big, to Ignore and you know essentially what that means is suicide is is a, a huge problem that's really getting to be so large that right. you can't ignore it at all and and this was even before covid right where you know i'm sure things have you know gone up exponentially in terms of mental illness. So, so that was our theme and we did several different campaigns through billboards and, you know, different outreach, different videos. One of the really cool things that the organization did was it got with really great artists here in Tulsa named Josh Butts, really cool guy. And he actually painted a mural on the side of AHA downtown of a airplane, Mm -hmm. which symbolizes 143 uh, lives which is the average size of an airplane. And those are, you know, how many people die by suicide. I I know it's I know it's more than that now. So that just kind of gave a visualization. So, and, and he did something special with that mural too, he wrote my sister's name in that airplane, which was really cool to see. So after all of that campaign and what we did, I've got a Facebook page for my TV weather stuff. And I got several messages of people who were in my same situation where they lost a loved one and they were really grateful of me opening up. And then I got also messages from people who are suffering from mental illness Mm -hmm. and who have decided to reach out and get some help. And I got some messages from people who are just passionate about mental illness and want to reach out to the organization to volunteer. So Yeah. yeah, so I think that the best part was seeing those messages and i think i got a couple phone calls too to the station but seeing those messages of people actually affecting those people was really you know the best part of the whole campaign that we did so sure you know i'm really grateful to the organization who you know took me in and let me you know tell my story and tell my sister's story and help me reach out to, to anybody who's struggling as well so you know it, extreme gratitude toward for
0: the organization, for that, yeah. So w- the latest statistic I read was something along the lines of every 11 hours, we lose one Oklahoman to suicide, which is, of course, big jump to where we were pre-COVID times. Mm-hmm. So, which tells me, you know, that more than one person who's going to hear this episode is probably experiencing some sort of suicide ideation, or is close to somebody else who is. So. If you don't mind, and if you do, please let me know and I'll edit this out, but if you don't mind, can you talk about your experience like in those first few days and then, and what the timeline was like for you as you started to move through the grieving process and understanding that it's different for everybody? Yeah.
1: So I think the first reaction was just shock because like I said, it was kind of in the back of our minds because we knew she suffered with mental illness her whole life. And we knew that there's a possibility of this happening, but we thought it, it wasn't to that point. Mm-hmm. So there was definitely an element of shock that you just can't believe what's, what's happening. And I just wanted to be around, you know, family and friends. And I wanted to, for me, I'm the kind of guy who is I pretty much am an open book, like, you know, I tell my friends pretty much everything and family everything. So I didn't want to keep this secret or anything like that. But I had some, some friends saying, well, maybe we could just say it was like a drug overdose or something. Or maybe we'll just say, you know, it was an accident or something because there was guilt or a bad connotation around, around suicide. But I, I said, no, I don't you know, we need we need to tell the truth about, about this because it may help other people. And that was, for some reason, my immediate mindset. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know why, but for some reason I just didn't want to make up some story or something like that. So I, I feel like honesty is the best policy and, and the truth needs to be heard. And that's that's her story. and And I think there would be some good that would come out of telling her story. So I wanted to make sure that we tell it as, as it happens. So.
0: Yeah. And what a great way to honor your sister too, is to acknowledge the struggle that she had and be authentic about it.
1: Absolutely. And she was extremely, she had extreme strength to endure this dark cloud that was over her head her entire life that she just couldn't shake. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine going through life like that. She was a a nurse, So going back to what I mentioned earlier, she always put other people first and herself last. And that kind of went with her being a nurse because she was excellent caregiver because she could sympathize with people. She also did some volunteer work at the Tulsa Boys Home. Mm -hmm. She was active in that community. And I remember her, you know, telling me about that and and just loving the, the, the work that she did with them because she could relate to some of the, the kids over there who were misunderstood or were suffering with mental illness too. So she, she was extremely good at empathy. She could empathize with people and really care about other people's well-being, of over her own. So I think ultimately, but just got, it just got to a point where, um, you know, she didn't want to, she didn't want to end her life. She just wanted a different life. Right. She, 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 she never really wanted to end her life. She just, she really prayed and hoped that she could someday get a different life. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was really hard in the, in the immediate days. I'm a pretty religious person as well. So I turned to the church in in the, the weeks and months following, and, you know, I had a really good priest who, you know, was, was very accepting and did a great job consoling us and. You basically said that some things we just can't control and because at the time I was suffering from a lot of guilt. Mm -hmm. um, So realizing that sometimes things are just out of your control Mm -hmm. um, really helped me because I'm the kind of person who wants to be in control at all times. So realizing that some things you can't change and you can't control it was a big realization that I had after this. So I think that was one thing that came out of the grieving process to
0: yeah, yeah. There are so many things in life that are out of our control. To that end, though, grief can be a wonderful thing. In that, the act of processing grief can manifest in positive ways, such as you know, like you're doing, getting out there and, and creating dialogue around the topics of both mental health struggles and and suicide struggles as well, both for those who are experiencing ideation or Attempt or complete suicide, and in those survivors, of those impacted by it as well. Good.
1: Yeah, I think it. If this is the same for survivors and for people who are dealing with mental illness or thoughts of suicide, that once you start talking about it, you immediately feel better in some yeah. regard. You know, you may not feel all the way better, but you certainly feel a little bit better than before once mm-hmm. you start talking about it.
0: They're just a little um, less heavy
1: yeah yeah exactly you get a little bit less weight off your back once you open up about it so my advice to people who are who are grieving you know a similar situation to myself or somebody who you know is struggling with mental illness themselves just talk about it and I promise that you'll feel you will feel better than not talking about it I guarantee you that yeah um, because you're Friends are going to be very accepting. And even though you think they're not going to be, I promise you, they will be accepting and want to help you. So I think that that first step is always the hardest, but you know, I'm, I'm telling you, once you start talking about it, then it just, it becomes easier.
0: Yeah. Did you utilize any of the support groups?
1: Yeah. So we got connected with uh, suicide survivors and it uh, was really interesting to... See and hear from people who had similar stories to myself, and in that same respect, too, on on Facebook. I guess this there's a lot of negative connotation about social media, and there is a lot of negatives to social media. But one of the positives is it can be a facilitator to a community of people who have similar situations to yourself. So I connected with a lot of people on Facebook, just random people who had lost siblings you know, husband, wife kind of deal, and I got with them and connected with their stories. So another thing about talking about it is you realize that a lot of people have your similar story, Mm -hmm. a ton of people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're definitely not alone as far as, you know, in in your grief and suffering, and, and a lot of people have guilt just like you have guilt. So, you know, it was definitely refreshing and provided comfort for sure to know that there's, thousands of people out there that are going through your same situation and they're living life and they're making the best out of it. And they're trying to turn into, you know, to help other people. So, so that's, that's always been my goal is, is to turn a negative to a positive and share her story as, as much as I can. Cause I feel like that's what she would want me to do mm-hmm. because it, it needs to be talked about. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. More dialogue, more concerted efforts to destigmatize mm-hmm. types of conversations for sure. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else that you would like us to know about your experience, about your sister's experience?
1: You know, I just I can't say enough to talk about, you know, the Mental Health Association and how welcoming they've been. And if you're like me and you want to find an avenue to contribute to the outreach get involved with Mental Health Association, volunteer. There's so many options and avenues to volunteer, to help in the fight, just get involved. But I think here in Oklahoma, we're really, really blessed to have an organization like this that that provides so much outreach like this. And I think... You know, we're definitely making progress. If you go back to just 20 years ago, you would not find the resources like we have today. You would not find as many people openly talking about it. Now it's kind of mainstream. It's in pop culture. It's in songs. People are talking about it and it needs to be talked about. And luckily now it's an issue that, you know, everybody can kind of get behind. And I think it's, it's made huge strides just in the past 20 years. And hopefully as we get further on, It'll continue to get normalized and we can get more funding for mental illness support. And that can take importance in allocation for government spending. I think that COVID brought to light even more mental illness struggles and even added to to the problem. So I think now more than ever, it's more important to 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 get involved because there I think COVID made people either realize that they're struggling or contributed to the problem. So I think we've got a long way to go, but I think we're making some, some really good strides in here in Oklahoma. I think just with the organization has, has touched so many lives. So, you know, I'm grateful to to live in a state where, you know, something like this is around. So,
0: yeah, same. Thank you so much. I like, I'm, of course to come on and share your story. And I'm really glad that uh, that Karen introduced us last week. Yeah,
1: Karen's another one who's just incredible person who just cares so much about other people. Uh, The QPR program, which I haven't mentioned, but is extremely important, which essentially relates CPR, which everyone knows, Mm -hmm. to helping people save a life with mental illness and suicide. So in the future, you can envision a world where everyone knows CPR mm-hmm. and then everyone knows QPR, which for, for those who don't know, it's it's a program that essentially provides somewhat of like a checklist, so to speak, for people who you think are struggling with spots of suicide that you can have kind of a playbook to go from to ask them what's going on, you know, per- persuade them to get some help, refer them to get some help. And it, and it kind of gives you a playbook of what questions to ask that can identify, you know, because sometimes people just don't want to talk about it and, and you don't realize it until it's too late. So if you are more active with something like QPR, then you, you could, you could save a life. So I think CPR training that happens like in every workplace or every school, Mm -hmm. there should also be QPR training. I agree. um, Yeah.
0: When I went through it, the equation that they made was it's CPR for the brain. And the other thing that I noted too is it dispelled quite a few common myths around CPR and what to do, or excuse me, around suicide and what to do if you if you suspect that someone you know is struggling with those sorts of thoughts. Yeah. Um, it's really important, you know, because there are some pretty strongly held misconceptions about it. And I thought that was really important to identify those as well. For- so
1: yeah, no, it's 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 incredible what they're doing and, and Karen such a you know integral part to that and you know teaching it to as many workplaces and schools and, and communities as possible because that in itself normalizes the talking about mental illness as well. So, you know, anything that can that can get it to the forefront, I think, you know, can can save lives. So
0: yeah. Well, John, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on and I'm excited to keep the dialogue going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm gra- glad to to have met you and and uh, thank you for having me on and, and having this conversation. So, I really appreciate. It.
0: If you or someone you love is struggling with thoughts of suicide or other mental health concerns, please call one of our free mental health assistance center lines at 405 or 918 918- or contact us at www.mhaok.org. Additionally, the National Crisis Line is now live and can be reached by dialing 988. If your organization would like to host a QPR, Suicide Prevention Training, please contact us at www.mhaok.org. Thank you for listening to the Mental Health Download.